Welcome to the Business Addicts Podcast, where the stakes are high, talk is cheap, and results are on the other side of commitment. Hosted by a former addict, myself, and I'm his wife, Jamie. We uncover addicts' mindsets, showing that the talents you've created in your struggle will be the superpowers you leverage to heal your deepest wounds. Listen to former addicts share stories of how they've flipped the switch, including insights into how much we can believe in ourselves. For those of you affected by addiction, we support your desire to help the addict in your life by raising the stakes and creating emotional barriers. Welcome to today's podcast. I have Kyle Fisk with me here, and I'm excited to jump into this conversation. We're really going to go deep into the conversation around forgiveness. And I see this as something that comes up in all areas and aspects of life, you know, especially self-forgiveness in addition to forgiving others. And uh, when we talk about how do we maximize, you know, who we are as people in life and business or wherever it is, it doesn't seem to matter. Like if there's something about forgiveness, forgiveness that needs to be addressed, it's holding us back. So that's kind of the perspective that I'm coming from, but I would love to hear whatever comes up for you and, and wherever you want to take us today in this discussion. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are before you get started though? Okay, yeah. Um, so my name is Kyle Fisk, and I really just view myself as this little old farm girl. <laughs> um, but also, um, my journey has been about um, healing and being healed. And so I'm 52, I think. <laughs> Um, I have, my husband and I have four children, all adults. And um, so around the idea of forgiveness, um, I had a very distinct experience that taught me a lot about it. And um, the background to that is that um, I was molested as a child. Um, to the best of my knowledge, it was about uh, seven years old. And, and honestly, I don't feel like that it's, what shall we say, colored my existence to a great degree. I do know that there are certain aspects that um, have come forward through my journey that definitely, that it had an impact. That said, um, in my 20s, and early 30s, I recognized having grown up in a Christian community and a, a church base that was home, a home church base. And um, like forgiveness was just one of those known things, like that's what you do. Um, and in addition to that, I, besides my grandfather molesting me, I was aware of others in our church that were very abusive to their families. And so my big question really was, how are we supposed to think about and feel about and deal with these people individually even, like in, in my own relationship to them? And... Um, so as I was saying in my 20s and 30s, I was, I was very aware that 
personally, I was like a good little Pharisee, um, very, a good little professing girl outwardly, looked good, did all the right things, but realizing that I did not have a personal relationship with God. And so I was seeking that as well as this, the answer to these big questions of how to deal with abusers and offenders. So um, meanwhile, in the, that same time frame, um, I was married at 23 and we had four children in six years. And so it was very busy lifetime uh, in that lifespan and um, still having all this swirling going on in my head about how to be real and how to be real with God. And anyway, so along that line, um, fast forward a bit. Um, I did begin to have more personal experience with God and um, feeling more real, praying more, meditating more, and reading the Bible more. And um, like one of the things that comes to mind along that line is like the expression that we want to be a light. And and the realization coming to me, or, or like they say, more of a light. I'm like, you either have a light or you don't, and it's God in us that is a light. Uh, we can't just like turn it on or turn it off. <laughs> um, but if we want to be a light, we have to have it. That's, that's more what it was about. Anyway, so that was just one little epiphany that came to me, that we had to have life in order to be a light. And so, um, so then we were um, living in a particular house where we lived for five years and our children were aged um, like six to 12, somewhere in there. And I was a homeschool mom. And so <clears throat> one morning I was on my front porch and uh, reading our Bible study for the week. And it was um, Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And it really was like a revelation. That's it. That's the answer to my big question. Okay, um, forgiveness. That's the answer. And it really felt anticlimactic because it was like, well, duh. <laughs> Uh, I know that I did that. I've done that. And then, but then as I sat there, um, I realized through what I call mental gymnastics that there must be something that I haven't done because otherwise, why would that be the answer? And I didn't know it already. And so um, I'll just Put this in context, my grandfather had died probably, I'm thinking it was about five years before this front porch experience. And I've learned since that when we have unfinished business and baggage with people, and when they die, that that stuff comes up again. Like we think we've got things settled, but when they pass, it becomes apparent that there's more to do if it hasn't been dealt with. So 
here I am um, thinking about forgiveness and um, it pops into my brain to wonder if my grandfather was saved or not. And it had been a concern of mine since he had died. And so I prayed that, um, can I know? Can I know if he's saved? Because it was, this is my mental gymnastics. I was like, okay, if, um, if he's saved and in heaven, and if I want to be in heaven, then I, then I would need to do this forgiveness. But if he's not there, maybe I don't need to. And so that was like, <laughs> that was like my, my leading into, okay, there's definitely more to do here. Otherwise, I wouldn't be having these somersaults and cartwheels of logic, right? So uh, anyway, then I didn't get an answer. And so I was, I was sitting with that knowledge that there was forgiveness that needed to be done yet. And I came to the awareness that I did desire to forgive. I wanted to do it. And I couldn't. There was nothing in me to be helped with it. Like, uh, I just couldn't. There was there was nothing in me that had any basis for being able to accomplish what I was being shown needed to be done. So I finally prayed desperately. It was a desperation. God, do this forgiving for me. And recently I shared this in a testimony and it, and it came out this way that it wasn't asking for a crutch or a cane to help me along. It was carry me across this chasm of what I can't do. And the miracle of it was that I knew it had been accomplished immediately because I felt weightless. I felt like I was floating off my chair. And so what I learned about forgiveness in that moment or in those minutes, however long it lasted, I don't even know, <laughs> um, was that we have to, that we just need to ask, like God did it for me because I asked and it wasn't me doing it. It wasn't me doing anything except asking, like surrendering this non-forgiveness to God. And he did it entirely. Um, the other thing that came as a lesson was that the forgiveness wasn't about setting my grandpa free at all. It was about me. Um, so, you know, there's so many misconceptions about that we hold. It's like beliefs that we hold to be true about forgiving. We think that holding non-forgiveness holds the other person accountable in some way. And ultimately, it's just not true. It's only holding ourselves in bondage and under a burden that we don't need to carry. And so when we allow God to do it for us, we are, we are being set free.
Um, just to back up briefly, before this event, I had been experiencing um, some lumpiness in my breasts. And I am very aware now, I wasn't so much then, but I'm very aware now that um, much of our emotional baggage and belief baggage contributes to our physical conditions and our physical diseases. And now I know that um, all female diseases of whatever sort, whether it has to do with uterus and the lower female organs or the breasts, all of it has to do with either our relationship with our significant women, like mothers or grandmothers or other uh, significant women leaders in our lives, or sexual abuse of some sort, all of it. And so anyway, um, I, I, I'm not a diary person, I'm not a journaler, and so I didn't keep track of things, but I do know, like time-wise, but I do know those breast issues did, uh, resolved very quickly after that forgiveness uh, meditation. And um, so, so that's definitely part of the story. And I haven't had any, any such issues since. They, they never showed up again, ever. And even, um, even the menstrual cycle, like I have the easiest menstrual cycle anybody could ever experience. <laughs> it comes and it goes and I, I have to have a calendar to keep track or I won't know when it's supposed to be. Because there's, wow. there's just no body symptoms, hardly. Kyle, you're really echoing a lot of things that I've learned over the years, too. And like you said, you know, there was a point where I didn't know these things, right? It's not that we just are born knowing. And um, for myself, my experience started with my mom. She was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 18. And I didn't know anything about breast cancer, but she was given such a low percentage that she chose to do alternative methods um, because they basically gave her such a small chance of living. And she lived six years, you know, like I would say she battled cancer six years, you could say, but it was breast cancer. And knowing what I know now, I absolutely believe what you shared. Absolutely believe it's connected. And just before she died, there was something that I, I was starting to create some awarenesses because all the things she did, I mean, she went everywhere. <laughs> she went Ireland, Mexico, Florida. She had a vaccine made out of her cancer, um, New York, California, you know, you name it. She looked into it. She was there. She did um, creating a fever. She did juicing, raw food diets. And, and I think they all helped, you know, to get her body into a state where she could continue. But the problem is she didn't address the emotional pain behind it. And she did say to me at one point, this was about a year before she died. She said, Jamie, if this book is true, everything I've done is wrong. And it was about dealing with the mind and addressing the mind. And what they were suggesting was that she would go somewhere and be away for six months from her current environment. And she was just like, I can't, I don't want to be gone that long, you know, and then, and then die at the end of six months anyway. You know, like if I am only going to be here six months, I'd rather... But so like a year later, you know, just before she died, I said, mom, is it possible that there's something you need to let go of? 
and she looked at me with, you know, her walker. She was 44 years old and she looked frail and, um, she looked at me and she said, yes, and I can't. And then about a week before she died, she ended up letting go and forgiving. Oh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this, I can't, I've heard that so often. Like, I know that's what I need to do, but I can't. And it is so true. Like that is the honest truth. I can't, and I couldn't either. And so it it was in this, I'm asking God to do it for me. Like, we don't even know that that's a thing, right? That That we can. Somehow we've gotten these misconceptions that I have to do the work. And well, that was actually one of the, one of the other bigger lessons for me was like, this was a big deal, right? The forgiveness thing is a big deal. And yet I came to realize that even the small things is only an honor to Kyle when it's done in my own strength, power, and will whether it's how I dress or wear my hair or sweep the floor or whatever, you know? So the the verse that comes to mind is whatsoever you do, do it as unto the Lord. And like in his grace and power, we're doing what we do. And then it is an honor and glory to God. And this forgiveness thing, I did not do that. It was entirely an honor and glory to God that, that it was accomplished for me. And that's, that's the main message I have in this forgiveness story, that I did not do that and I could not do that, but God did and could. And you're bringing up and reminding me about one of the other podcasts um, about a year ago where I uh, interviewed uh, Lori Kostinick and the author of The Laws of the Universe and the Bible. And after that really changed for me um, how I pray and how I think about prayer. And in the past I was coming from this place of desperation, but it was actually from a place of hopelessness and helplessness and really not believing. I mean, there was the verse for me was Lord, I believe help thou mine unbelief. You know, what is it that is keeping me back from really truly believing and then shifting to a space of like, he's already got this, you know, thank you. Um, and so what you're speaking to is something that I didn't know. I mean, I was told to pray, <laughs> but I didn't know how. <laughs> right. And even um, the verse in James that says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So when we break that down, um, first of all, we might have a belief that says I'm not righteous. Well, in and of ourselves, we're not but Christ in us is our righteousness. And that's how we claim that uh, title, if you want to call that, or that attribute. And then what is effectual fervent prayer? And fervent simply means that you feel it, like you, you recognize that it's already yours. And so what is the feeling? It's the joy and the thanksgiving that this thing that I've asked for is already mine and it's already done because we've asked it in Jesus name and we felt it. And so that's the fervency is the feeling of it. So that makes it the effectual, that's the effectual fervent prayer. Yeah. The other question that I have for you is a little bit more expanding if you're open to it on 
what, how did that change your relationship with God going forward? Oh, entirely. Yeah, entirely. Because it wasn't performance-based. Like, I could ask anything. Well, here's the other, this, this has come later. I mean, this is 15 years in the past for me. Okay, let's put that into context. And so um, there's a whole lot that I have learned even more since. You know, actually more, more to say about this after that forgiveness piece was um, accomplished for me. Then I, it popped into my mind again to ask, is grandpa saved? And I did get an answer after that. And I was assured of his being saved and was thankful for it and happy to know it. And so then it's like the rest of that, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So honestly, I believe that in the moments that people are abusing other people, they are in a place of not knowing what they're doing. They're taken over by something more than their conscious selves is how I, and, and I mean, that can be argued all day long, but um, just imagine it as being like taken over by Satan in the moment. Uh, that's not who they are, but they have no power in that moment. And if they were stuck in the same place I was, that um, I have to get this right and I have to do it before I can be right with God, then we're powerless. And so I was just, it just was in my mind that he, he didn't know that he could surrender that issue to God and have God change it for him. And so he never asked. That's how I look at it. And so then I was um, also just in this knowledge that he was saved. It's an expression of God for God's forgiveness, God's mercy, God's love. And I made it my intentional way to live going forward, that if God can love like that and show that kind of mercy, and that kind of compassion, then I want to too. And so I have heard and listened to many stories of sinfulness because people bring it to me and, and I am able to help them surrender those things to God and know that they are forgivable and that they can go forward in purity and not be constrained by the same belief system that they were under before. It's super powerful. And going back to what I said about my prayers being, you know, from a place of hopelessness and helplessness and just, you know, desperation, but really not believing. And then when you're helping um, shift to a place of hope, it's just completely changing. And then also so many that are abusers have also been abused. So they're reconciling, you know, all sides. I was wondering if there was any of the other. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, so this was more recent for me around the topic of forgiveness. And it, it came through being trained as a theta healer, which is, is my mode of, of healing now. And um, so they, they gave us this 
succinct little list that any time that we have feelings of revenge, regret, resentment, and rejection, those are all signs that we are holding a non-forgiveness. And so we can just like stop and think now, what is it? Why am I feeling this? Regret obviously would be like non-forgiveness of self. If you're regretting something you've done, there's a non-forgiveness there or something in your past, whatever. And revenge doesn't have to be desiring that some, you know, desiring to go out and kill somebody. It can be just wishing that somebody would get their just desserts. And so if we have that feeling, then we are burdened with non-forgiveness and rejection and resentment. Yeah. For myself, resentment has been one of the pieces that I've been working through. And um, my husband was an addict. And so as he starts to heal from that, I have to heal resentment. And then he's had to work through rejection. So those last two pieces have been our personal experience. Yes. I listened to an interview about from the author and psychologist, I think was his title, but Dr. Gabor Mate, um, basically saying that all addictions, whether it's a workaholic or any other sort, all addictions are based in lies or beliefs we hold to be true about ourselves. Like for him, it was workaholic, an addiction to work to prove his own worth. And just as simple as that, it's like, but it's a driving force that they can't control. And that, you know, and so these underlying beliefs are ultimately where the healing begins for any of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. In the, in the work that we've been doing to study this, especially over the last year with our podcast and interviewing other people and going through the work ourselves, absolutely. What you said, 100%. Is there anything else that you feel has been left unsaid about this topic of, of forgiveness and thinking about unforgiveness um, or anything that you would love to share with, with listeners? Um, well, there was one other piece. In that same meditation, um, I, I ended up having to ask, like, right, the, the, um, the Bible study was Jesus on the cross, right? And so it's like, have I suffered more than Jesus? That was, that was really a, a significant piece in that whole forgiveness story. Have I suffered more than Jesus? And ultimately, I had to say no. And so, okay, <laughs> that was part of the coming to the place of wanting the forgiveness to be done for me or changed for me, I should say, the non-forgiveness changed and asking God ultimately to do it because I couldn't do it. That's very beautiful. And I know that these things are making a difference in, in my life and not just my life, but the life of our kids you know, the things that we can do today that impact generations, future generations. And it feels like that's the work that Kevin and I have been tasked with. So very thankful for this um, perspective. Yeah, I just, I just do hope people can understand that like forgiveness isn't about setting other people free. 
That's huge. Yeah. It's really, uh, somebody put it this way that holding non-forgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. And so I, I think that's very real, a very real analogy that we think that it's about the other person and it just totally isn't somehow, somehow we've gotten it all backwards. I know for myself, when we started releasing emotions and things like that, occasionally I wanted to hold on to something, believing that the longer I held on to it, 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 if I, let me say it this way, if I let it go too soon, it was like, I didn't give it enough meaning. Yes. And I had a person I was working with who said, when I, when I gave him the opportunity to say, would you like these to be changed for you? I had, we had a list going. He hesitated because he says, I just want to be angry. Yeah. And I'm, I said, okay, it is your choice. It is your choice. It's yours to decide. Do I want to be free or do I want to be angry? And which one do I want more? It's a a choice. Thank you for sharing your story vulnerably. The more that we can continue to share our stories, the more it loses its power. You know, when it stays hidden and just, you know, something in our thoughts that just goes over and over again. So I really, really appreciate you sharing your story here today. You're welcome. So glad to have the opportunity. Thank you for tuning in. And to stay in touch, email us at info at businessaddictspodcast.com.